If you want to take your Bibles or go on your mobile device to a Bible app, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2 together. Philippians chapter 2, you can go there and we'll be looking at verses 1 through 18 as we continue in our series dealing with uh, uh, this post-COVID world. The series title is Forward, Living and Loving Like Jesus in a Post-COVID World, and we started this right after Easter. This is the fifth message in this series, and we're going to be, ad- we're going to be addressing this concept of how we need to be outwardly focused even while we're regathering on the campus as a church. I've been reading a lot about where people are in terms of their mental health and kind of the space in their own minds and hearts and as they're wrestling with going back to life as normal and still having some concerns. And, and I've been reading about words like depression and anxiety, agoraphobia and burnout. But I've also come across two words that have been used a lot in the literature as we emerge from COVID that psychologists and therapists are seeing that we're facing here in America. And these are unique words. The first word is uh, a lonely, <laughs> a lonely. This is the opposite of loneliness or being lonely. It's the dissatisfaction that comes from not spending enough time by yourself. We've been at home together, right? Kids have been home, doing work, school, kind of on top of each other and just kind of always together. And I know I've talked to some families where it's, you know, they need some space and and there are some folks who just need some time apart and alone. I know our middle child, Katie, has always been that way. We'd go on a week-long vacation, and she would come home and just need to be in a room reading a book or just having some space. And they say that not only are people lonely right now as we emerge from the pandemic, but also there are people who are lonely and they're looking for space to just breathe and be by themselves. The second word is the word languishing. Languishing. This is being used quite a bit. I've seen this in a number of articles and even in some journals. And this is an interesting concept when it comes to our mental health. And this is being written a lot. And there's a lot going on about the mental health of Americans right now, not only because we're coming out of COVID, but this is Mental Health Awareness Month, this month of May. And languishing, as described by psychologist Adam Grant, is this. It's the void between depression and flourishing. It's the absence of well-being. You don't have symptoms of mental illness, but you're not the picture of mental health either. In one article I read, it's kind of like you're emerging, but there's this sort of blah. There's this just sort of um, not sure what life is now, and you're just sort of caught in the middle. Now, let me say this. If you're going through uh, bouts of depression or anxiety, agoraphobia, or maybe you're having some burnout of some sort, or maybe you identify with loneliness or being alonely, or perhaps you feel like you're languishing. You say, I'm not really struggling with mental health, but I'm also just not flourishing like, like I normally do. There's something going on here. Uh, our care and counseling ministry is available and can help you. Uh, you can speak to them in the lobby there at their, their counter. You can call the office because we want to make sure that you've got the resources. I'm so thankful that while we've got folks who do a great job on working on our physical health and God has blessed us with medical doctors, I think we've uh, got in our generation great opportunities to deal with mental health through psychologists, psychiatrists, and therapists, and God has blessed us with their skills as well. And we have Christian counselors and therapists that we can connect you with through our ministry. So reach out to us. But I also want to say that while we're maybe battling that and dealing with some of those emotions and mental health struggles coming out of this past year, we have the foundation of our hope in Jesus Christ and God's Word and the Holy Spirit within us that can help us. And, 
And yet the people in our world who are dealing with these kinds of things don't have that foundation. I think the opportunity for us as the followers of Jesus Christ to be a witness to the world that's a little adrift, they're kind of blah, they're kind of struggling with going into this this new season, we have an opportunity to show them the reality of Christ in our lives. And today as we look at Philippians 2, I want to talk about our greatest joy together as a local church. As Calvary Community Church, it's great to be back together. It's great to have so many different ministries taking place. But our greatest joy won't be just what occurs here in our worship, and our Bible studies, our small groups, our ministry teams that are on the campus serving one another. Those are wonderful, and there's a place for that, and we'll talk about that next week. But our greatest joy together is when we are making a difference in this world. Our greatest joy together is found in being an outwardly focused church. We've got to be careful to get too inwardly focused as we celebrate and spending time together and being together. Our greatest joy together is found in being an outwardly focused church. And an outwardly focused church flourishes when its people are others-oriented like Jesus. You know, people were never an obstacle to Jesus. He always paused, took time for them. He was others-oriented. He wasn't concerned about himself. He was concerned about others. And we need that same attitude and that same spirit in our lives. And I believe in Philippians chapter 2, there are five ways in which we can grow stronger in being others-oriented as individuals. And as we do that, that will help us not only be others-oriented, but outwardly focused. We'll go beyond our own homes. We'll go beyond our own church, the household of faith, into the world and into the, the community around us. We have an opportunity with our levels of influence and the spheres of influence we have to demonstrate Christ to be a witness to our neighbors, our friends, our coworkers, our relatives. And so I think these five things will help us understand how we can be others-oriented and ultimately, collectively, together as a church, we can be outwardly focused. The first one is found in verses one and two, and it's simply this. We need to fight for unity. We need to fight for unity. And to do this, we've got to focus on our agreements in Christ rather than our disagreements in life. There's been a lot of stuff over the last year that we could disagree about in this world and about life. And the followers of Jesus Christ need to be united in the person and work of Jesus Christ, in the spirit of God. Because the world isn't looking for just another place where people are squabbling and divided and arguing and hurting each other and a spirit of division. And God knows that. That's why the New Testament emphasizes so much that we as the believers of Christ need to be united together. Paul is writing to the Philippian church here in this letter. He's writing to the first century Philippian church from jail. He's in jail in Rome for preaching the gospel. This is not a a writing of Paul's like some where he's correcting the church for theological heresy or for immoral behavior. He's actually writing them to encourage them and, and to celebrate the joy he has in the Lord and how they can be joyful and grateful too no matter what their circumstances are. Look at verses one and two as he talks about unity. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete. How? By being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and and of one mind. Being like-minded, having one love, one in the spirit, having one mind. 
There needs to be a unity. And notice it's around the personal work of Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God. He mentions we're to have one love. And Jesus said that when we love one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, even through our differences and our distinctions, we love each other. That love overflows. And the world says those people must be the followers of Jesus. They love each other in a radically different way than anyone else. So it's important that we fight for unity. We strive for it. We roll up our sleeves and say, we're going to agree on the things of Christ and we're going to allow those other things in this world to fall by the wayside. You know, I spoke on this in the second message of this series, specifically on unity. And you can go back and listen to that message. But I had some feedback from folks who said, you know what? I did call someone that I had kind of said some harsh things to or a relationship that was broken down. I reached out and apologized and tried to rebuild the unity between me and a brother or sister in Christ. I received uh, an email uh, from a father uh, of an adult son, and he wrote this to me. Dear Pastor Sean, my adult son, who is in his late 20s, and I have not communicated well for the last year or so. We have had extremely different views on politics, COVID, and many other things. He knows Christ as his Savior. He and his fiance attend Calvary. My wife and I live back east and visit from time to time. We usually greet you in the lobby during our visits. This has been a tough, tough year in my relationship with my son. We have gone many weeks without uh, speaking. It's been very difficult. Prior to this, we could barely go a a few days without calling or texting each other. It has been really bad and heartbreaking for both of us. Apparently, your message Sunday, that was the second weekend after Easter, Uh, dealing with the unity among the followers of Christ caused my son to call me and seek to find unity again as father and son and even as brothers in Christ. He said we should focus on our love for Jesus and our love for each other, not our differences in other areas. Pastor, I was humbled as my grown son humbled himself to pursue unity with me. He said that you challenged the congregation to fight for unity in Christ and focus on that unity above anything else. Thank you, Pastor. As I write, tears flow from my eyes. My son and I are calling and texting again. We talk about Jesus and our walk with him. We fight for unity. We will not let Satan divide us again. Sincerely, a grateful and humbled father. Praise God. And I've heard from others that they went and said some things to their small group where there'd been some division and strife, where there'd been an argument between uh, family members who know the Lord and Maybe you still need to reach out to someone that there was a broken relationship. Maybe you even say it's someone else's fault. Fight for unity. Find ways to rebuild those relationships that have been torn apart. The world around us needs to see the body of Christ united. And not united on everything. And it needs to be united in the personal work of Jesus Christ. We need to make that our heartbeat and our focus. If we're going to have an outwardly focused church We've got to fight for unity. Secondly, we've got to lead with humility. Lead with humility. In the next two verses of Philippians 2, I think we have perhaps the greatest passage on humility in all of Scripture. It even is the, the passage that introduces the greatest section of Scripture uh, focused on Christ, the theology of Christ, the Christology in verses 5 through 9. And it's, it's about humility, We've got to lead with humility. We've got to put others first rather than last. Put others first rather than last. Now, I know that means that 
We have to be at a certain level of strength to be able to serve others. We have to find some healing. We don't have to be perfect. But even the Apostle Paul, when he met the Lord on the road to Damascus, he, he didn't turn around and immediately start preaching. He, God gave him Ananias in Damascus to disciple him. And he was there for months, some even think years, under that tutelage before he was able to minister to others because he himself had to recover and, and grow in the Lord for the time in which he was even persecuting the church. And now he would be representing Jesus and the church. But we have to put others first rather than last. Look at verses three and four. And let me say this, if you struggle with arrogance, pride, or being self-centered, it's all about you, these two verses are great verses to memorize. Look at verse three. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. Now think about this. If I'm concerned about someone's interest over here and they're concerned about a brother or sister that's in their small group over here and they're, they're worried about their interests and they're thinking about them and someone up there is worried about someone here and someone online is concerned about someone in their small group and they got their interests first and putting their needs ahead of their own, just think what happens to the body of Christ and think how the world would long to be a part of a group that not only was united but displayed the very humility of Christ. Again, if you struggle in this area of it's all about you. Uh, memorize Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Thirdly, it's not only that we've got to fight for unity or lead with humility, but thirdly, we've got to live on mission if we're going to be outwardly focused. When God saved me, he didn't save me so that I would just sort of bide my time and wait it out the years since I accepted Christ and that one day I would be with him. When he saved me, he also sent me. Jesus told the disciples just Hours before his crucifixion, as he gathered with them in that upper room, he said, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. And remember, the Father sent the Son, John tells us, to be the Savior of the world. The Father sent the Son, and the Son says, so I am sending you. All who know Christ are sent. We have a mission from God. What is that? It is that we are to go to the lost with the love and hope of Christ rather than isolate with the saved in a holy huddle. We're to be actively thinking about our spheres of influence outside of ourselves and beyond our home and, and thinking about others. And yes, first in, in the household of faith, we can be serving one another and encouraging one another, but we've got to be thinking about this mission to take the good news of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world and to share with them the very hope of Jesus. We've got to do this rather than isolate with the saved in a holy huddle. One of the tendencies that could happen to any church coming back in a, in a fuller sense and getting the ministries up and running again that many couldn't happen and didn't uh, function in this season, one of the, the weaknesses that could happen is that we just get caught up in ourselves. It's wonderful to be together. Frankly, it's just wonderful to see your faces, most of your faces, uh, those of you who are comfortable not wearing masks now. Uh, it, it's It's great. But as great as this is and as wonderful as this is, we've got to be careful that we don't just get insular and we just don't think about ourselves. There is a world that right now is hungry and lost and adrift, and we have the answer. We have the hope in Jesus. Look at what Paul says in verses 5 through 11 as he describes the mission of Jesus, and we're an extension of that mission, but look at verse 5. In your relationships with one another with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, 
who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What a beautiful passage. What a beautiful portrait of Christ. You see, when we could not go to God because of our sin and our brokenness, we could not reach God, God came to us. God the Father sent God the Son to us. In our human wisdom, we think, well, we should be good enough to get to God, to have a relationship with God. If, we're, if we go to church enough, if we do enough good things, we're a good enough parent, all whatever the things are, we think that's what will get us to God. But the scriptures say all of that falls short. But God knew that, so he didn't expect us to get to him. He sent his son to us. Jesus came encased in human flesh. He took on the appearance of a human being and he walked among us and he obeyed the Father in going and coming for us to the point that he went to death on the cross. He died, was buried, and was raised from the dead so that we who cannot get ourselves to God could know God and have a relationship with him through Jesus. Maybe you've been trying to get yourself to God in some way you can't. You have to just come to this understanding that God came to you. Jesus came for you, and you can put your faith and trust in Christ and have a relationship with God today. Right where you are, you can just sit and say, God, I get it. I can't get to you. I'm a sinner. I, I never measure up, but thank you for sending Jesus. I put my faith in him. And the moment you do that, you have a relationship with God now and forever. Then you too are on mission to represent Jesus wherever you go. Perhaps you've joined us online and maybe today's the day you're putting your faith in Jesus or you've done that recently and you'd love to just share with us and you'd like to get some resources to grow. Just text the name Jesus to the number below me on the screen and we'll follow up with you immediately. A text will come giving you a link to part of our website that'll help you get growing in Jesus and someone on our staff will reach out to you. That's a great way if you're online, you're joining us that way to, to connect and let us know that today you've accepted Jesus as your savior. Those of you in the room can also use that method of texting the name Jesus to the number on the screen below me. And uh, you also could uh, greet one of us as pastors. I'll be out on the patio to the main part of the parking lot there and we can have someone share with you what it means to know Jesus and make sure that you know Christ today according to his word. But understand that God sent his son to us. And then once we know Christ, we then are on mission to take that message to others. Jesus himself would say it this way in Matthew 28, 19, and 20, before he ascended to the Father. He said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Mark records Jesus' final words to his disciples before he went to be the Father in, in a very succinct way. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Luke would record how they would do this and where they would go as he quoted Jesus in those final comments, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. 
You think that might just be for the 12? No, throughout the New Testament, we learn that is the mission of all of us, to take the good news, the message of the gospel to others, to show the love and hope of Christ and how we treat others. James would say it wouldn't just us be, we wouldn't just be shouting this message, but he said that we would have a true religion, a, a true Christianity that would be seen. James 1.27, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. See, we, we share the good news how Jesus came to save every human being, but we also show the love of Christ even the most marginalized in the first century, widows and orphans were the most marginalized, most forgotten. And James says, you want to see the reality of Christ? You want to see true religion? It's when we care for those that others overlook and we share love and hope with them. We allow them to see the kingdom of God lived out in us. His kingdom values, the kingdom of heaven lived out in our lives here on earth. Pastor Brian Field, who was up here a few moments ago, has a heart for others and a heart for our community and our world. And this week we asked him to share a little bit about that, asked him some questions. And I want you to just to hear Pastor Brian's heart. And it's the heart of Calvary Community Church. Watch this video. Hi, I'm Brian Field, and I am the missions pastor here at Calvary. And uh, I've been on staff almost 13 years now. I grew up at Calvary uh, since I was five years old. Uh, my family moved here from Mississippi, got baptized by Pastor Larry when I was in uh, junior high and really got to uh, grow in my relationship with Jesus. And uh, my parents led a, a small group at our house and my mom sung in the choir. I, I did some of the productions as a kid. And so just had a great experience uh, being a part of the Calvary family for about 40 years now. I really never thought growing up that I'd be in ministry or in missions. Uh, my dad was a football coach, and I was thinking that that was kind of the direction I was planning on going. And But after college, uh, Mike Katzenberger, who was the high school pastor at the time, uh, asked me if I'd be interested in going on a mission trip to Russia. Somebody from Calvary had given uh, buddy passes who worked for an airlines for us to fly, and we got bumped up to first class to Russia and back. And I remember thinking that this missions thing was pretty good. And uh, I've now been, I think, to about 20 some odd countries and never flown first class again. But my first mission trip was first class. A few months later, uh, I got asked to be a volunteer leader with the high school uh, group to go on a missions trip to Russia and Latvia for two weeks. And that trip just changed my life. We were going into nightclubs and into city squares, uh, to a girls' prison and to orphanages, and just boldly sharing about the hope of Jesus. And we saw uh, many people respond to the gospel. We got to care for these kids and just spend time with them and love on them. And through that experience, I just sensed the Holy Spirit at work in and through me in a way that I had never known. And I began to understand a, a greater uh, purpose that God had called me to in a direction he wanted me to go in. I ended up uh, deciding that I wanted to go into missions and I ended up doing a discipleship training school with Youth With A Mission out in Australia for six months. After that, I ended up returning and uh, was on staff for three years uh, at this YWAM base. And uh, while there, I ended up meeting this Canadian 
named Carmel. We became friends for a year and ended up uh, getting married. We were there for a total of three years and ended up moving back to California. And uh, I ended up on staff at Calvary about a year later as the missions director. I've been here now almost 13 years. In that time, we've had four children. We have a 12-year-old, 10-year-old, and twins who are both seven. They're an active part of this church. They love being a part of Calvary. I believe for us as a church that Calvary has always been an outward-facing church. From the very origins, Pastor Larry moving his family out from Detroit, Michigan, and he came here to this place with the eyes uh, of a missionary, of one saying, how can we reach this area and a people who are tired of what church looks like or not interested in church altogether? They went knocking on doors. They they asked, what would it look like if you were to come and be a part of a church? And he moved them from a traditional church space to a restaurant and then to a warehouse. We were one of the first churches to ever uh, be in a warehouse. And all this was with an outward facing view of how can we reach the people in our community? How can we serve them? How can we build relationships uh, with the leaders of this area and and to have an influence uh, where much is made about Jesus? What are the things that Jesus did? He And what did he call his disciples into? It was uh, healing the sick, feeding the poor, having compassion and love for those on the margins, calling people to repentance and speaking about uh, this kingdom that he he said that he was ushering in and that uh, he wants to call us into that process. And he's given us breath in our lungs and he's given us uh, resources and abilities and time. He calls us to say, will you be a part of seeing my kingdom come and my will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Through the years we've done that, we've sent missionaries, we've planted churches, uh, we've uh, established community outreach uh, ministries, we've taken care of the needs of the poor and, those, and the vulnerable and um, uh, visited the lonely. I'm passionate about us continuing to be an outward-facing church that extends our reach uh, both in this community and around the world because I believe it's our primary purpose as followers of Jesus is that we continue to be on his mission. We can continue to see his kingdom come. We've, uh, over the past year, helped resource hospitals. Our our blanket ministry has provided masks to, I think, 5,000 masks in the early stages. We as a staff ended up calling 10,000 of our Calvary body at the very beginning just to check in and to say, how can we be praying for you? What needs do you have? I think about within missions, we have our reach group, uh, which we've established that has almost a thousand people in it now. And we send out weekly opportunities that you can serve here in our community. We have our reach projects coming up this summer where there's going to be opportunities for you and your family to go serve. So I'd encourage you to join the reach group. That's our main uh, communication tool uh, for sending out those needs. And, And it's been amazing to see how God's mobilized so many people. There's opportunities within care uh, to help reach out to those that are just in need, whether through prayer, through hospital visitation. One of the ways I really believe we can assess whether our focus is inward or outward is what we're doing with our finances and giving. And as we think about facing outward, how, how are you giving to the life of this church and resourcing that or the life of a child through sponsorship or uh, just needs that you see around you, whether in your family or, or a neighbor or something somebody that's in need? How are you giving of your resources? Finally, when we think about prayer, is our own prayer life based on 
our own needs and, and what we're asking God to give to us, or, or, or do we shift it not only to our needs, but also to the needs of others and what God's doing in the life of another person? I think that's a critical shift. There's so many ways that you can get involved. My encouragement to you is to just take a step today in following Jesus. And whether that's in a way of service, if that's in a way of giving, if that's in a way of praying, there's practical ways that you can begin today, beginning to turn your life from an inward focus to an outward focus in serving God and his kingdom. I love that. Love his heart. I see Pastor Larry down here and Here's one raised in the setting of Calvary Community Church who caught the vision and passion, Larry, and it continues. And uh, I just want to encourage all of us to understand that heart that says we're going to bring the kingdom of God into the lives of people now. We're going to live those values out now. We're going to be others-oriented and outwardly focused. Now, let me, he mentioned toward the end there are a number of ways to make that practical. One of those ways, he said, was to pray. I want to challenge you three times this week. Go to calvarywestlake.org reach calvarywestlake.org slash reach. And go there, those are all of our outward-facing ministries primarily that are in that area of local and global missions and outreach. And you go to that website and you'll see those various ministries. Just click around on that page and when you get to another ministry, pray for that ministry. Allow God to lift your eyes beyond what you might be going through to see others and to see the needs of our community and our world. Allow God, as you see those programs and ministries, to transform your own heart so that you even go into the spheres of influence in your own life with the hope and love of Jesus with his kingdom values. We need to live on mission. It's so important. It's important that we understand we've got to fight for unity, we've got to lead with humility, and we've got to live on mission and then fourthly, we need to aim for transformation. We gotta aim for transformation. We should cultivate a life known, uh, we should look for ways to live out the work of God in us or in you rather than check off the boxes of the Christian life. We wanna look for ways to work out what God is already done, doing in us than just checking off the boxes. What does that mean? Well, let's look at verses 12 and 13. We read, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, he was in prison, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. When we invite Jesus into our hearts to be our Savior, we're given the Holy Spirit, and then it is God who is working inside of us. He is the one who is transforming us from the inside out to be more like Jesus. This passage in verses 12 and 13, he says, to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Notice he doesn't say work for because we can never achieve it. That's why Jesus came to us. But once we know Christ and God is at work in us and his spirit is in us, then we begin to let it out. We begin to allow God to transform us. And as, as I said, we look for ways to live out the work of God rather than check off the boxes of the Christian life. Now, there's something to be said for disciplines like reading God's word, praying, uh, being in a small group, serving in ministry teams. There, there are things we need to be doing, and we need those disciplines, and we, we need those practices. But the Christian life just isn't about marking off the boxes. It's about allowing God to change us, our minds and our thinking, our perspectives, so our relationships, our attitudes, and our behaviors are changed. 
Let me tell you what, it's not just the unity that we have, it's not just the humility we demonstrate, it's not just being on mission to take the love and hope of Jesus to others that the world needs to see. They need to see that we're being transformed by Jesus. They need to see the changes taking place in our lives so that our witness will be bright in this world. Ask yourself the question, am I more like Jesus today than I was yesterday? Am I more like Jesus coming out of COVID than I was before COVID? We need to aim for transformation in our lives. Fifth and finally, we need to shine with gratitude. We need to shine with gratitude. In this, we cultivate a life known for thankfulness rather than a life rooted in bitterness. One of the sad things for me about this past year is that I think a lot of Christians are known in the world as bitter and angry, that they're argumentative and divisive, that they just seem to be edgy and irritable. And who in the world would want to experience that? Bitterness wins no one. And we should be the people who are grateful and thankful. We've got Jesus. You take everything else away from us and, and make all of our circumstances overwhelming and crushing. We still have Jesus. Nothing ultimately can harm us. My favorite verse in the scripture is found in 2 Timothy chapter 1. I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. No matter what happens. Paul wrote that from prison too to Timothy. No matter what happens, I've got Jesus. And we ought to be full of gratitude and thankfulness to our God. That's the spirit Paul had as he writes and he concludes concludes this section of his letter. Look at verses 14 through 18. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Was that true of you this morning? Or this week? So that you may become blameless and pure. Why? And then he quotes the Old Testament. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. So that your lives, be grateful. Do, don't complain. Be thankful people so that the world will see the distinction in you. This warped and crooked generation needs that. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. We'll shine with gratitude. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. Verse 17, but even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. There should be a gladness, a joy. That's one of the major themes of the book of Philippians that we have as God's children. There should be a gratitude and a thankfulness. And the world needs to see people who say they follow God and know God with joy and gratitude and thankfulness. We need to shine with gratitude. Someone has said it's not happy people who are grateful. It's grateful people who are happy. Gratitude is a choice. And oh, how the world needs to see the followers of Christ as grateful. I came across this question, and I've brought it up a couple of times. We've talked about gratitude and thankfulness. I love this question. What if you woke up today only with the things you thank God for yesterday? What would you have? What would you have? Would you have anything? See, the world is looking at us as we emerge from COVID. They've got their eyes on those who proclaim to know Jesus. The people in your spheres of influence, your coworkers, your friends, your neighbors, they're looking at you. What do they need to see in us that we're others-oriented, that we're not about ourselves, 
They need to see us united together, humble in Christ, on mission with the love and hope of Jesus to a lost and dying world. They need to see that we're aiming for God to transform us so that we can live and love like Jesus more. And they need to see us shine with gratitude. How about you? Are you others-oriented in how you live? You see, for us as a church to be outwardly focused, each of us as followers of Christ have to be others-oriented for us to really have that outward-facing mentality. Or the eyes of a missionary, as you said, uh, Brian, that Pastor Larry brought with him in starting Calvary. These children, it's so great as I, we've gathered. It's been a little hard. I don't know how many people are really here because we've got over 100 and some kids, cardboard cutouts in the, in the seats. It's beautiful to see them. And our team has been working on this child sponsorship weekend, and uh, we've had 35 of these 166 children uh, that have been sponsored this weekend, so we've got some more to go, and we'll be doing this next weekend as well. But one of, our, one of the wonderful stories that came out of our own staff team this week was Holly, who serves as our graphic artist, was taking the photos of these kids from these different ministries and was cutting them out to make these cardboard cutouts. And as she was doing that, a little girl popped up that she was to clip out of the photo and make a cardboard cutout, and she just sensed the Lord saying to her, do you see this little girl? You need to sponsor this little girl. And so Holly decided that she and Bob would sponsor this little girl, and so this child was sponsored before we ever got here. Because God gave her eyes to be looking beyond her own life and her own things she's going through to see the needs of others. And we need to open our eyes in our spheres of influence. And even when it comes to sponsoring these kids, it'd be really easy for us with anxiety and depression, agoraphobia and burnout and a loneliness and loneliness and languishing just to get caught up in ourselves. But let's be others oriented. Let's be outwardly focused. There is a lost and dying world hungry for Jesus, and they don't even know it. But we get to show them the reality of Christ lived out in us together as a church. I can't wait to see what God is going to do in and through us in the months and years ahead as we represent Jesus in our community and our world. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for the rich history of Calvary being outwardly focused. It would be easy for us to come out of this pandemic just hunkering down and isolating in our own homes and not thinking about others or to hunker down in our ministries here at Calvary and our worship together. Father, help us to keep our eyes every day as we live our lives on the spheres of influence we have. Help us to keep our eyes on the needs of our local community. Help us to understand what you're doing in the world as a church that we might be continually engaging. I've been thinking of these children, Lord, bring sponsors for each of these 130 kids that are left and provide so that these kids can be fed and educated and cared for in such a way that they hear the name of Jesus and they link how they're being cared for to him. Father, open our eyes this week. May we be united, may we be humble, may we be on mission. May we, Father, aim to be transformed and be like Jesus. And may we shine with gratitude and joy not with bitterness and anger and irritability. May Jesus be seen in us. Open our eyes to others. Open our eyes to the world around us, we pray in Jesus' name.
Amen.